Good to yeah. see you. All right. Let me pull up the notes here. I like, literally just walked in the door. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Have, I mean, if you need a second, I'm, I'm fine. No, no. It's um, it my I almost text you to push uh, to seven. But I was like, oh, it's, uh, I'll get there. We'll be fine. <laughs> we had my my mother-in-law had to have her cat put down today. So. Oh, that sucks. And then while she's waiting in the parking lot of the vet, her car dies. <laughs> so, oh, God. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, she's had a great week. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. So, um, wait, hold on. Who's outside? Okay. I guess we'll wait until the kids walk away. Before we get rolling, I'm still waiting for Echo, man. <laughs> I know. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about that because I knew it was going to come up. I, I kind of briefly got inspired for an angle I wanted to do with the, the kind of pilot episode. Mm. So I wanted to kind of jot that down before sharing it. And then I've just been super, super, super busy. Yeah. Last me weekend, too. We, had a, we did an all-weekend tabletop gaming online con. Fun. For, doctors without borders and raised uh $6,700 oh man that's awesome we'll we'll definitely get into that on the show for sure because I definitely want to give some shout outs <laughs> Andrew's like, like, that's Andrew's awesome like, <laughs> I mentioned that I was coming to your show again Andrew's like he hasn't asked me yet <laughs> and I was it's, like it's oh. coming it's coming uh we've I got told him, I, t- I told him like I actually know him Drew you'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> I saw um those photos you took at the puppet museum yes so I saw, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I looked it up on their website. I, I called Krista. I was like, I just saw Tom Cat went to this puppet museum in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> and is it is it a big museum or is it just like a little small room? It's a pretty good size. So the museum itself is basically divided in half. Half of the museum is puppets from around the world. Right. And then the other half is strictly Jim Henson. Um, I figured. Yeah. But on the but on the side that's the puppets from the you know puppets from the world is where you've got Tim Burton stuff, right? And you've got uh, the MST3K puppets, and Best boys. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you've got um, a couple of the like Lion King Broadway oh, production masks. Yeah, see, yeah, we we love all that stuff. And then I saw that even like you can uh, watch a puppet show there. Oh yeah. Yeah, and there's, I know yeah. Th- this month is like Pinocchio and I uh, whatever, but I've just never been a big Pinocchio person. But if we, if we went, because I think it's like an hour fifteen sh- minute show, we would probably try to do that. I was going to say, we've been, yeah, we've been talking about going to Atlanta now, again for yeah. like doing like the aquarium or the Coke Museum, right? Right. But but when I saw the, your pictures, I was like, that is fucking <laughs> awesome. It really is. I, to be honest, like all we did was the museum. There's yeah. other, of course, other yeah, things. Yeah, they, they have a puppet workshop. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, it's worth the price of admission just to walk through the museum. It's super cool. Can't That's recommend it enough. It's awesome. Very, very cool. And um, it's and, and you round the corner, you round this one corner, and there's Kermit sitting, <laughs> sitting in a director's chair. And you're just like, I am not about to cry at this oh, Greenfield. I am not going to cry. <laughs> I I always, yeah, I'm going to get that way. I'm gonna, I, I got that way. I, when I went to Seattle in 2008, 
I got to see the actual turtle costume that was used in TMNT. Really? Wow. And they had the actual like circuit animatronic that Mm -hmm. was used to control the computer that was used to control the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like this like T-Rex made out of motherboards and and it's got all these freaking cables coming out of the tail for whatever they had to plug it in. It was, and like that stuff just like blew me away. Man, that's and, awesome. And it's been 15 years, but they did have a section where it was almost like a little computer app where you could just kind of scroll through different famous spaceships in science fiction. Yeah. And that was cool. Of course, you had the Millennium Falcon and the Enterprise, but then you had stuff like Battlestar and the Serenity and... Yeah. It was it was very very cool and yeah, I, I liked awesome. I liked that a lot. And where and where was that again? It was in Seattle. Huh. It was like downtown Seattle. They had, I didn't know they had one. They had a science fiction museum. I hope it's still open because that place is pretty fun. <laughs> awesome. I love that kind of stuff. So I don't know I don't know if you saw like all the pictures, but uh, long story short, we did a road trip for Kat's birthday. And yeah, we, I saw a couple yeah. of them, like the, the Louisville Slugger Museum. Yeah. <laughs> That's so we're all, weird. We're, we, it, it was kind of funny because neither one of us thought about it because, I mean, we're not huge on baseball or anything, but we were like, oh, I wonder what's in Louisville that we can see. And then like things to do in Louisville. And the like one of the first things that pops up is this gigantic bat sitting outside the factory. And it's just like, oh, and the Louisville Slugger factory is here. Like, that's, that's holy kind crap. Of awesome. <laughs> I think it was our fourth wedding anniversary. We were on our way to a cabin in Tennessee and we round the corner and there's the Bush's baked beans plant. Just thinking (laughs) about them beans. Yeah. And we were just kind of like, so we're stopping here on our way back. (laughs) (laughs) But like along the lines of, and of course it, it was full of baseball history chalk to the rafters with baseball history. But we also stopped at the Johnny Cash Museum in Nashville which was awesome. It goes through his entire career. And that's really fun. Yeah. Awesome. And it's, it's love that. so cool. They had the chair and the bust of him from the Hurt video. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, all of that. And I mean, that's tip of the iceberg type stuff. They had his military uniform. Like they had all kinds of stuff. I, yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. And when I told uh, Krista about y'all's trip, she was like, oh man, that sounds, because she's been wanting to go back to like the Coke Museum and stuff again. Although we've been, you know, more tentative <laughs> recently because of, sure. you know, yeah, the times. But it, I've been wanting to do that. I, I know they scaled down the aquarium stuff for a little bit. I don't know if it's back in full force. Mm. Yeah, um, gosh, I didn't think about places like zoos and aquariums and whatnot. I didn't even think about that. I mean, I guess people are still showing up to work. They got animals to feed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a while, some aquariums like let penguins loose in the building and stuff. Oh, funny. And, and you could like follow them on the webcams. All those places <laughs> did some really cool things. I, I got to give them props for that. That's awesome. And I was just talking with my buddy about comics. Because I was talking about, I think I'm going to probably drop Spider-Man soon. Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah. Gosh, I haven't really read Amazing Spider-Man since, probably since J. Michael Straczynski's run ended. That's so been, that that's was been a long the time last time I read it. Like I, When I first got Marvel Unlimited, I did try to read some of the uh, slot stuff, which I think for what he was asked to do, he did a good job. After Quesada and the brand new day thing, I just, it killed my enthusiasm for the character. And I hate sounding like every other nerd there, but it did. It was, it's, mm. it was objectively awful and not because it's bad i've been struggling to keep up with batman just to, i mean it's, just it, on a monthly basis it's, I think and it's they not need to scale i think they need to scale back batman a little bit i think they're doing a lot of sh- 
fit with him right now. Yeah. I think they should make a lot more of us like the whole ghost maker thing. I was like, is potentially interesting, but like, oh, I'm not even that far. Like I I'm still, I'm, are you back I'm, on like city of Bane? I'm just after that with Joker prelude war. to Joker war. Yeah. So I'm like right in the thick yeah. of that, but like, I, the, the I, entire yeah. time. And, and, and it was so bad because they pushed back three jokers. And so three jokers comes out while Joker war is going on. And I'm just like, just give me a reason to give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> like i thought three jokers was really good but the joker war i could have done 100 without i'm so done with that character you know with the huge mm-hmm. push for harley quinn and all that stuff and I, you know harley's the best part about it well i to be honest did you read um white knight or curse of the white knight by uh, sean murphy i read whichever the first one was white knight white knight okay that kind of spoiled me for <laughs> for harley in the books i was like it was so good and the relationship between her and joker and batman was so interesting i definitely think it was interesting i wasn't interested enough to keep reading his subsequent series oh you is is it good (laughs) dude did you like the first one i did this is one of those rare instances where the sequel is better than the original okay i'm not a big fan of when they kind of make batman an asshole not Batman's a d- from like the JLA Morrison days where he's just kind of a kind of a d- like yeah. I, I I dislike when Batman like Frank Miller's Batman I don't like when Batman's actively a piece of shit. this is all I mean and I'm gonna have to be careful because I certainly don't want to spoil it for you I feel like I read it, the first issue amazing. of the Azrael stuff yeah that's the second okay. series that's yeah the Azrael I think stuff. I read the first two one or two issues and man they they gotta pick a lane with that character they can never figure out what to do with him i'm one of the few guys that actually loved Azrael and loved asbats back in the day oh yeah this was yeah. A, a huge throwback for me but honestly if where uh, is john paul is he even in the new 52 or, not, or the no, rebirth no. universe no once once his series ended they just kind of forgot about the character i don't think he's appeared since agent of the bat oh no, no wait no he was in batman eternal wasn't he I think someone else took up the mantle. I think the St. Dumas uh, order was in one of the Batman Eternals. I can't remember if it was Batman Eternal or Batman and Robin Eternal. Mm. Might have been the latter. And there's just too many Batman titles. <laughs> there's just way too many. Man, <laughs> drop one of them. Make Detective a Bat Family book. Yeah. When DC 1000 came out, because I think they were still in the middle of City of Bane, and I was just like, well, nobody's topping Snyder and Capullo. So, yeah, and haven't. So, when DC 1000 came out, I was like, I'll read Detective until the next creative team picks up on Batman. I'll switch to Batman and pick up from there. DC 1000 was pretty good. I, and they have a new one. I think it's called Batman Urban Legend or something that's more yeah. anthology like. Yeah. Like, it's, it's more like you have, for whatever reason, they're trying to make <laughs> Grifter a Batman character. So you have a story about Grifter, a story about Jason Todd, a story about Baz being Oracle. Oh. I, I like the idea. I still I still would rather them just like pick a character for one or three issues and go with that. I don't necessarily need an anthology book every month. Yeah. The structure of Detective back in the day was two or three short stories with as much detail that they're putting into books nowadays. You know, I'd rather read... And, and some of this stuff just gets drawn out for so long. I'd almost yeah. rather read a couple of shorts written by huge Batman fans as opposed to a decent to good writer who's pigeonholed into a contracted length of time on a book and now 
man started out strong and then it sort of peters off at the end i'm, and I'm like oh. i'm so shocked wonder comics failed because young justice was exactly what i wanted young justice was fun I, I i read the first issue and i was like okay i get it it was a lot of fun it felt like the young justice title of the 90s, of the 90s with just yeah. a hint of jeff john's teen titans we have a purpose right. like it wasn't as goofy as the original title but i'm a tim drake boy for life so oh sure you, you, and you put tim drake in a book and uh... look and this is really as much as i can say about curse of the white knight as big of a robin fan as you are finish it okay yeah. All right. <laughs> the only other thing I can say that I've been picking up on a regular basis is heavy metal. <laughs> really? Is yeah. Morrison still doing it? No, it's somebody. It's somebody else now. But uh, they have not missed a beat, sir. They are. Oh, awesome. They are I, when, when he popped no. on there, I, I was like, I should go buy an issue of heavy metal, and I never did, and I've always regretted it. And I always feel like because it's all mostly anthologies or serialized stories. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. I think every issue has maybe one or two interviews with a creator yeah but the rest of it is nothing but comics I need to, and they used to have those uh louis Ro, royo rojo uh mm. they used to do some covers for him i can't remember his uh, name probably were, i mean they've gorgeous uh, they're and I, yeah i mean i've only got the three sitting here but they are wall worthy it, like i said they haven't missed a beat <laughs> they're they're still really good and that's the uh, other thing about heavy metal is now if a series if it's good enough they just pull the trigger and just go okay you're greenlit for a book that, that's awesome just, yeah they'll just make it happen i did pick up images new noir title the good asian how is that it's good nice. it takes place in 1936 it's about this chinese american guy who's like the only asian cop because he he got his his detective license in like honolulu oh cool and it seems to be a missing person story at first but it, it it's very philip marlowe it's like if you like that kind of stuff and the mm -hmm. art is excellent and moody it actually reminds me of cliff chang's art a little bit What's the, I love uh, a good noir piece. So, uh, so I assume uh, since he got his badge, I imagine in Honolulu, I imagine the story takes place in LA. Yes, or San Francisco, because he has this whole like he has this whole thing about the Golden Gate and talks about like oh, gold cool. and what gates represent at the beginning. It's one of those musing detective <laughs> things, and I'm like, I'm just eating it up. Nom, oh, nom, yeah. nom, nom, nom. <laughs> love it. If you dig the noir thing, I've just finished reading volume one and two of a book called miss and it's m-i-s-s -S. and it's basically the story of this young woman who uh, you know goes to finishing school but just never really fit in the whole thing and her you know dad's a drunk and her mom's a prostitute the whole thing she gets out of finishing school the first thing she does is get hired as a secretary for a pi spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert the pi also does some low-level cleaner work oh, cool. there, there in New York City. And she goes with him on a job and he gets killed during the hit. She picks up the gun and finishes the job and takes over the business. It's fascinating because she ends up with, uh, you know, she, of course, they're in a quote unquote bad part of town. And so she ends up meeting this African-American sort of club owner slash pimp guy okay i found it uh miss better living through crime yep that's it check out miss because i think that's going to be right up your alley we also just finished maryland's monsters and it's basically the story of marilyn monroe 
but sort of twisted into this dark fairy tale. It's really fascinating. The, I love those the, kind of things. Yeah. Like uh, Harry Houdini and HP uh, Lovecraft teaming up to like, uh-huh. you know, sh- like that. Love uh-huh. it. It starts very uh, Snow White and uh, there's a lot of Wizard of Oz references and, you know, Golden Age of Hollywood, of course. Right. And um, you kind of watch her spiral and the monsters that she encounters in her life there in Hollywood. It's an interesting graphic. That novel. sounds it's awesome. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, hey, you want to talk about Star Trek? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's get into it. <clears throat> Ready? Yes. Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is ta. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beat me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resume podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, the creator and writer of upcoming Star Trek Echo, (laughs) Mr. Miles Griffin. Yay! Miles Griffin. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Nice, nice. <laughs> Thanks have for you, having uh, me back. Oh, we love to have you on. Uh, it's so great when nerds get together; their powers combine and get. Oh yeah, get we, we've <laughs> we've been talking for about forty-five minutes just nerd BSing before we even not push not record. anywhere remotely close to anything Star Trek. No. <laughs> well, we talked about heavy metal. There's some space. We we, we, in we did segue as like, well, I guess we should talk about Star Trek now. <laughs> Uh, hey, so how have you been enjoying Enterprise? Like, has you, so, have you, uh, I mean, my, you my, have it changed or grown at all? It's largely remained the same. And I'm excited to talk about this week's episode because I said, I think off air, that the Andorian ep- episode was one of my favorite episodes of what I had watched, which mm-hmm. is why you wanted me to come back for this one. Yeah. And I think there are some things this show, when it's called to, does very well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in that episode, and honestly, in this episode, they're good episodes of television. I still have a problem with it as a Star Trek show, but it's it's one of those things that you can, you know, yeah, I can learn to like ignore it when I need to. But Enterprise is still a rough watch for me, yeah. but it's not the kind of petulant, I don't like it. It's not what I, that kind of thing. It's sure. just there's a lot in it that I think doesn't really represent the kind of Trek that I want to watch, especially okay. with the relationship between the humans and the Vulcans. What, what seems to be their masters. And I dislike that relationship. Yeah. It does, I, I, it's I, very, it's very different than how it's portrayed later on for sure. Yeah. And I, I feel like that them leaning a little too heavy into that. It gives the show a weird film that I dislike. There's, there's this like greasy film on it that just gives me an uneasy feeling. 
you know, I often say there's no such thing as bad Star Trek. And I have found episodes that I love of this show. But I think overall, this is this is the one where I just kind of like, I have to resign and be like, yeah, this is not for me. <laughs> well, I'm trying to watch this show in light of the things that came before it. And chronologically, the things that are going to come after it, which technically came before it and after it. So, uh, yes. You know, when you look at the human Vulcan relationship as it's presented here in Enterprise and then see how it progresses to Discovery, where everything's cool, but, you know, there's still some side glances and the fact that, you know, Michael Burnham gets adopted by Spock's parents, let alone the fact that they have a mixed race child, you kind of see some of the tension a little bit underneath the surface. It's died down a little bit, but there's still something there. And then, you know, once you get into the original series, it's kind of like, oh, yes, and we're, we've been friends for many, many years. So I have to keep that progression in mind. Otherwise, yeah, it's kind of a pain in the ass, especially this episode where the Vulcans kind of make a boneheaded move here. But um, well, and they seem to do that a lot. That's what also annoys me is they're supposed to be so advanced. They're supposed to be so superior and they keep making these honestly human mistakes. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's a good way to put it. Yeah. They make very human mistakes. <laughs> and I think Paul is a great character. And I think yeah. the actress, I don't think there's a bad actor on the show. Honestly, I think the cast mm. is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I don't like Archer as a Star Trek captain. I don't mind him as the captain of this show, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. I like, mean, I, I expand on that a little bit. So he's too much of a cowboy and not in the way that Kirk was. Okay. There, there, there's, there's, a, there's a little too much manifest destiny in him. I think because it's not far removed enough from contemporary society that he isn't what I want from a captain. Okay. Yeah. I feel like guys our age kind of got spoiled by Picard in that he was such a good captain and seemingly not only the captain of the ship, but the captain of this crew that he always made, or at least seemingly always made the right decision and, you know, did what was best for all parties involved, as opposed to Archer who got command with a chip on his shoulder already. Archer's command motto seems to be yeehaw, which I thought would be very attractive <laughs> to me because I, I kind of like that kind of gumption. But for whatever reason, and it's it's not Bakula, I think he does a good job as the character. And I think the character for a science fiction show is good. Yeah. I just, I have a higher bar for my, my Star Trek captains, even though I know what point in Star Trek history we're in. Mm-hmm. And it's also being spoiled, not just Picard. You had Janeway. You had Cisco. You had three, like, I'm sorry, having the best captain conversation at that point in time is impossible because all three of those are just superlative captains. Mm -hmm. Even now with like Saru, who is a top tier captain in my opinion. I think I've been spoiled by these captains that are, I guess because they've been born in the culture of the Federation, they're a little bit more wizened, they're a little bit more ponderous and they're a little bit more enlightened in their decision making whereas they just slap some spit and duck tail in the sh- <laughs> and wish them the best of luck <laughs> <laughs> yeah as i recently spoke with another guest about how once enterprise was out of earshot i think like whoever was over starfleet and the okay so whatever breaks on the ship and whoever dies this is how we're gonna write the manual <laughs> there's just no there's yeah, not I mean, even a manual well, yet and 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 this episode <laughs> actually gets a li- into it a little bit because it also seems that the the enterprise's personal motto is 
hey, check this out. Yeah. <laughs> like it's very yeah, because beer vibe. Well, and trip trip having the southern accent, I just it makes me as as a South Carolinian, it makes me think <laughs> yeah. of people and places. Like if you've ever been to, you know, Gaffney or sure. uh Greer on certain nights of the week. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> you, you're gonna find these smart but intrepid souls yes doing very <laughs> unsmart well, things <laughs> usually preceded by hey check this out yeah hey check this and out. and and there there is that hey y'all watch this <laughs> yeah exactly and there's a working class quality to this enterprise crew that i deeply appreciate mm-hmm. it would be easy to sweep the show under the rug but i think there's more to it because i do have respect for the crew i have respect for the actors and some of the episodes that they've done there is a specific vibe this show contains in a lot of its meta storytelling that just doesn't jive with me yeah all i can say to you and to the listeners who probably feel the same way hang on because we got some stuff coming up probably in the next two or three weeks where subject matter is going to get very heavy very fast and uh <laughs> i also will say that i've actually very much in enjoyed this episode and i definitely don't envy you with some of the heavier episodes that you have yeah, it yeah. now you've got a while to go before you get to something like retrospect which whoo, i'm gonna tell you right now todd i am not guessing on that episode no <laughs> oh that that is the do you know which episode i'm talking about uh no it's uh, it's been a that while. is the voyager episode that is basically an analog for date rape with seven of nine. Oh, yeah it's it's not a good look and Star, Star Trek does not have a great history with handling that subject. Yeah. I mean, all, the way, all. All, the, all the way back to the original series, it was all, oof, yeah, rough. Rough at best. <laughs> it is. But I will say, the episode that we're talking about today, I actually very much enjoyed. Yeah. And that being said, let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Wednesday on our all-new Enterprise. Your shuttle was forced down by members of a radical faction. You might have told us about your little war before you invited us down. It's not Vulcan policy to negotiate with terrorists. Did it ever occur to you that could get the captain into Paul Kill? An all-new Enterprise. Vulcan Ambassador Saval complains to Admiral Forrest about Season 1, Episode 7, like, you tell Archer I'm taking my T'Pol and going home. Great, you guys. I'm going home. Enterprise, however, is already on its way to Corridan, a planet where they dig around and build ships and stuff. Archer's like, T'Pol, one last ride? She's like, all right. And they get captured by an anti-government guy named Treg, who then sends a ransom note to Enterprise. Reed and Trip are like, I believe we should go down there and retrieve them ourselves. Saddle up, partner, let's ride. Hoshi, you got this? Right ho, love. See you when we get back. No, she's like, uh, and they get captured too. Only this time it's by Shran, the Smurf from that time they blew a hole in the church planet. He's like, sup, pink skins. They break into the rebel compound where Archer and T'Pol are busy shoving their faces into each other's crevasses. While the Vulcans, led by Captain Sopek, attempt a more direct rescue. You'd think a phone call would save a whole lot of trouble. And then... There was a firefight! T'Pol takes a blast, pushing Sopek out of the way. Archer scoops her up, and he and the away team bounce. In sick pay, Sopek arrives to ask about her condition. Archer's like, come on! And Sopek's like, all right. Doc Flox revives T'Pol, and Archer's like, look, you're gonna be around for a while. And she's like, cool. Dolly out, executive producer card. So, yeah, we get into 
a little bit of action, a little bit of uh, trying to sneak around a little bit. And then, <laughs> and just, I don't know. They, they this seem episode to get kind of has it so, all. Like you have the ability to hail them and speak <laughs> with them. Why, why are you going I, down I, there? I love, I, this is where their ineptitude is great because <laughs> they're so bad at what they do. Like this, literally, you could make this shot for shot an episode of Lower Decks. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, they really could. And wow. play up the comedy. But mm-hmm. there, this episode does really have it all. It also showcases the the bit of budget that they put into the show as they're flying into the planet and you get to see this cool cgi landscape of the and the the little shuttle you know flying through it's you didn't get that in any prior series yeah i i think next gen kind of got close with some stuff yeah you occasionally had a landing or something but not a full-on like yeah not a soaring through the sky it was really impressive and i like that but yeah they get they get caught comically fast yeah (laughs) But I also, I love that this episode begins with what almost feels like there was a Tumblr thread that went around many moons ago <laughs> about what other aliens must think of the Federation, or specifically, <laughs> specifically the humans. It is one of the funniest pieces of Trek I've ever read. Oh, wow. And honestly, the beginning conversation that, what's 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 his bucket? Is it Saval? That is, t- yeah, Saval. <laughs> Because they've been in space for six months. They've already destabilized an entire sector. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's yeah. the SS Animal House. <laughs> I mean, but I, I love this, this <laughs> idea that he's so frustrated with these humans because they're so unpredictable and they will do the dumbest thing and usually walk away yeah. largely unscathed yeah. where everyone else is looking on in abject horror. Yeah, you're absolutely it, right. It oh makes me so happy. <laughs> my one real actual issue with this episode is how far it takes after the episode that it's a sequel to. Yeah, I think even Jolene Blalock, the actress who plays to Paul, said was just like, you know, they set up this stuff back in the Andorian incident and then never really followed through with it. The Endorian episode was episode seven. This is episode 15. Yeah. At the very latest, it should have been episode nine or 10. Yeah, they really should because have had way- a quicker turnaround on that. Yeah, because the way this episode picks up, it seems like an immediate reaction to the Endorian incident. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, like in looking at, and I've had this discussion with my wife, Kat, and former guest, uh, Gary Horn, about putting together the essential watching list where you know we're covering episode 15 right now i could narrow this down to probably four or five episodes and that would put the andorian incident probably one maybe two episodes away from it which would actually kind of be perfect you got a lot of filler episodes which as many problems as i do have with this show like props to them for bringing the andorians back yes that was cool because you you saw them as maybe a background alien race in, in an occasional episode, and it only happened a couple times in TNG. And it was like, oh, someone's walking in the background and they're an Andorian. It, it was right. never an actual character. Yeah. So this is the first time since the original series that we've mm-hmm. actually get to see these. Although I think in, I think it's in Deep Space Nine, someone talks about the uh, the Andorians being essential allies to Starfleet. Yeah. And we never see them. So 
it's cool that this show does that also bringing in star trek mvp jeffrey combs oh yeah and he's so good like he's he 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 kind of straddles that line between playing a character and playing himself but i i think being buried under so many prosthetics and because he just swings for the fences like everything he does he's swinging for the fences and man but, and it, often than a, not he's knocking him out of the park <laughs> he's so, he's so and it's such a far cry from like his more famous stuff from deep space nine in brunt and wayun wayun which is one of the best guest characters in yeah. Star Trek. Solid. Yeah. I love Wayun. But so like I, even when I watched the Endor incident, like I didn't even have to look up who was under that makeup and the prosthetics. <laughs> I heard that voice and I'm like, that's my man right there. That is Jeffrey that's Combs her, that's all day Herbert long. West reanimator himself. <laughs> I don't think he's popped up in Discovery yet, but give him time. I'm holding out hope that even, even a cameo, like for once, make him an ambassador of something and let him just be him be with, no, with no prosthetics. Yeah. Just give this guy, you know, some real FaceTime on camera. <laughs> and he, uh, he deserves it. He's, he's so good. And he's so good in both the Andorian incident and this episode, because the Andorians are kind of brought out to be a little antagonistic. The problem is their paranoia is a hundred percent justified. Yep as we saw in the Andorian incident, like they had this suspicion and with it being buried under a religious retreat. Yeah. All bets are off. This centuries old uh, religious oasis was housing spying equipment that they were using on the Andorians. And it's just kind of like, well, all bets of all bets are off. Now I feel like the Andorians are a little, they are very different, but I feel like they're a little bit of a precursor to how we end up dealing, how the Klingons end up becoming a primary uh, factor yes. in later in later series. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and <laughs> because they are antagonistic for sure, they're antagonistic, but it's they're not antagonists, and yeah. I think it's a little bit different for me than the Klingons because the Klingon Empire was a bit of a, a problem for a while, mm -hmm. whereas the Andorians are just super super paranoid and they're just they act on the cuff you know they're yeah. they're very much fight fire with fire and yeah that's their first thing they go to like whereas federation tends to be diplomacy S same thing with the vulcans as opposed to the andorians who are just like all right let's go <laughs> and i i guess i don't know what happens you know because the third season of discovery takes place like a thousand years in the future mm -hmm. so things have changed i can i can accept that that's fine yeah <laughs> the, the weird part of this episode obviously is the archer and to paul stuff because it's still early on in this show yeah so you gotta it's, you gotta have the, the little the, cringy the, it's a little cringy it's super cringy because you have to have <laughs> the captain and the main female lead will they won't they look these and guys let's just go let's just go ahead and press them up together just just press them together like like two I, like a kid with a like a kid with a Barbie and a Ken just mash them together. Oh, you, the writers <laughs> were just like just kiss because oh yeah maybe if we we face each other we can we can untie our knots and then Archer gets a face full of boob. Yep. Well, first, okay, we're going to reposition we're going to rub ourselves until we're face mm -hmm. to face with each other. Then we're going to turn this weird way so Archer's got his face right at her ass and then they're repositioning themselves again and face full of boobs. Like it's really can we, I, I legit super subtle. Out my drink because Re it really, was, really subtle. 
because the thing was, I don't think they were really trying to play that moment for abject comedy. I think they were trying to play that as sort of quirky and flirty and potentially romance enticing. Mm, And those characters play well together. Yeah. They have no romantic chemistry. Right. And like, listen to the conversation that they're having. She's having none of it. Yeah. (laughs) She is not into this at all. No. And I mean, also, you know, Scott Bakula's probably got 30 years on. There was actually an interview where he got asked about it and was like, well, you got to be tied to somebody. Could be worse. (laughs) Sure. I mean, yeah, sure. Fine. You know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I understand it wasn't like that he he was in the writer's room going, hey, hey, hey. So, hey, hey, fellas. (laughs) Is there a a way you can just shove her boobs in my face? Oh, jeez. Uh, hey, did uh, as comically quick as they got captured, how much funnier was it that Trip and Reed go down <laughs> and immediately get captured as well? And they like, get all right, but, all right, who but. else? Who else wants to get in a shuttle? Anybody? Anybody else? <laughs> Two steps outside, they get jumped, but it turns out it is not Grand. a big deal because the Andorians yeah. are here yeah. and. I was actually very, very happy to see them. And as soon as I heard Combs, I was like, all right, nice. buckle up for safety. We, <laughs> we are in for a ride. And, and this aspect, I really enjoyed. I liked the idea because it also paints the Andorians as not just purely volatile beings because he talks about how he can't get any sleep because of the debt that he feels he owes Archer. Yeah, little, and little pathos there. I thought it was really, really fascinating to to look into them like this, it, even though it was kind of superficial, like mm. it was just surface level stuff. Yeah. I was really, really happy with that. And I think the show plays its actual comedy very well when, when Hoshi has to answer the call and flat out pulls her receptionist voice. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, it killed me. Thank you for calling and, the Starship Enterprise. How may I help you? <laughs> like oh he's not here right now can i take a message and i was like are you kidding me are you kidding me right now this is amazing it'd been so great if she had had a plastic bag just like oh you're breaking up oh that was great i mean you you see you see the the whole boy just typing is it travis that was doing it yeah uh just furiously to get to i guess create the static that ends oh you're, you're breaking up which I mean, they would accept because they keep talking about, about what a POS the Enterprise is. Right. <laughs> so they they walk on board and they're like, "Oh man, this place is worse than I thought." They played up the comedy with the the Vulcans much better in this episode, so that even though I dislike the human Vulcan relationship, when it's played like this, it's fun because they end up being the butt of every joke. They end up being on the wrong side of the situation. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's the Andorians and the humans. That are like, hey, why don't you just talk? You think a phone call would save a whole lot of trouble? Because Sapol <laughs> has the gall, the absolute gall to say, well, you're spying on us. And I mean, <laughs> I swear I thought the, the vein was going to pop out of Shan's uh, skull as he looked at him and was like, bitch. <laughs> I said, bitch. You wonder the reason we are in this situation in the first place? Yeah. Oh, by the way, here's your Palm Pilot back with the reason why we're here. I mean, jeez. I will will say sometimes that kind of slapdash stuff works because the script 
actually exposes the problems with the, the racial relationships between these species mm. in a funny and I find to be a really forward moving way. Like, I, th- I think this actually gives forward motion to the relationships of everybody, at least from this episode. Yeah, the Vulcans aren't happy, but they've been empirically proved that their actions were incorrect. Right. And it's kind of like, yeah, you might be enlightened and all that stuff, and that's great, but you're far from perfect beings. We're, right, we're, right. we're all here. We're all making mistakes. So, you know, cool your jets a little bit. <laughs> I do wish that, and I understand what they were doing, but because we have had at this point, 24 seasons of Star, 25 seasons of Star Trek. Yeah, something. Yeah, I think close. they could have pushed to Paul's character a little more, give her some more agency. I understand the type of character she's supposed to play, mm. but we can look, we, we, we've been in this game for a while. We know what Vulcans are like. Let's have some simple honesty because there's no reason for her not to be honest. So for her to not state how she feels, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, about being taken off the enterprise yeah i think that they robbed that character some moments because i think so and i mean she's she's gonna get she's gonna get some she's gonna get plenty of time to shine but even in light of the series as a whole i do feel like she was severely underused and i'm i'm sure uh miss blalock probably feels the same that might be one of the contributing reasons why she doesn't talk about star trek anymore well yeah i think she started to kind of hit the circle in the before times but it's it also seems to be that she's one of the things that that fans tend to agree was pretty good yeah and she's excellent in the role i think she's a fantastic actress yeah and they may not have written things for her to do but she did so much with her facial expressions and and body language in this episode to kind Mm -hmm. of show what to paul felt it communicated the information that i needed to take away for her character in this episode yeah, I think it might have been a little bit of a missed opportunity to have her oh, make, yeah. a, make an appearance in the first two seasons of Discovery, although perhaps she'll make an appearance in Strange New Worlds. I mean, she uh, conceivably she's oh, still she's that. still she's still alive. So yeah, because so this takes place how many years before Enterprise? Enterprise is roughly 100, 150 years before That's what I Discovery. Thought. And then Discovery, I think, is ten kind of kind of tail kind of backs into TOS. Yeah, ten years um, before TOS, I think, and then five hundred years after, or a thousand years after, and and the Vulcan lifespan is hundreds of years, correct? Yeah, I want to say it's it's an easy four or five hundred years. I think. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, she she should she could show up if she wants to. Mm-hmm. I would love to see her, yeah. especially in Brave New Worlds. Um, oh yeah, Janeway's coming back. You know, Kate Mulger is going to voice her. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, you know, give her give her a voice. Let her do a voice of something. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, I mean, I I would love for her to show up somehow in, in Lower Decks. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's I'm I you know of everything that's coming back, I might be the most excited for Lower Decks. I it's, really it's, enjoy it. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I see it getting I, a lot of hate, and I just don't get why. Everyone that I know that has at least watched it has loved it. Uh, Drew and I on the More You Nerd, it was our favorite show of the year that we, when we did our, our year wow. end. And I mean, I love Discovery. I think Discovery season three is, it's going to be blasphemous to some people. I think it's one of the best seasons of Star Trek. I thought that it really captured that Roddenberry magic, especially in the, in the final moments of the season. Mm, I, yeah. I felt like it really hit something special. And, and I loved Picard. I mean, sure. Yeah, it's dark. It's flawed. But I I enjoyed it. Yeah. For, you know, folks our age who 
Picard was our captain yeah, that we watched daddy. as kids, you know, seeing him come back, seeing yeah. him come back, not only post next gen, but post X-Men seeing Picard, you know, seeing Patrick Stewart take up the mantle again. It's just kind of, it's yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 have, I have some, almost thought, I have some thoughts about Picard that I see both sides of the coin. But I'll I, I'll, I, I'll I save do, that but, for another episode. But I'm 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 usually so often just along for the ride that I'm just like, ooh, I love this. Oh, I like sure. this. And yeah, yeah, I think you it, said it very well. There's rarely unfun Star Trek. It's all it's all good. It's all Star Trek. It's all good. Yeah, I mean, th- there are very few episodes where I'm just like, uh, I could do a hundred percent without this. And they often start as Chicote. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm being mean. Um, <laughs> I do find, uh, and it's not his fault. He was given a lot of boring stuff. With when you have a show done by committee, it's it's it, that's going to happen. Yeah, and you got such a large cast and such unique characters. Somebody's going to fall through the cracks, and it's unfortunate that it was him. I think he got maybe one or two spotlight episodes that were kind of more Chakotay centric. It didn't hit like the rest of the stuff. And, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. And I don't know. I've I've talked to people who have met him and he he seems to not really have cared about his time there. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's 11. But (laughs) right. Right. (laughs) I, I, which which is too bad because I, I, I am one that I love Voyager. I think it's a woefully underrated show. My friends who know I like Voyager always bring up the fact, yeah, but how come Harry Kim still an ensign after seven seasons? <laughs> well, did you see he just he just launched his website, Forever Ensign? No, I didn't yeah. see that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's got his own website out there. Well, that, you have if, to if, anybody, if anybody listening to this hasn't gone to visit Garrett Wang's website, I highly recommend it. It's it's good stuff. And that, the and the podcast that he's doing with Robbie McNeil, the Delta Flyers. Oh, love that. Love yeah. that. I, they had such great chemistry on that show. And I know we're not talking about uh, Enterprise. That's why we sound so animated. Um, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> the more I talk about the Enterprise, the more I, more I drink. Um, oh, gosh, I forgot. But no, I, I think that Garrett started. Wang has a genuine love for Star Trek that mm-hmm. comes through in everything he does from his basically organizing the Trek stuff for Dragon Con and conventions and stuff. I love that kind of the spokesperson for Trek is a former Trek actor. Yeah, it it, it does lend a little bit of uh, some weight to it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's always great to see that. You know, even Patrick Stewart wasn't really on board until, you know, Not later until season seasons. two or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was kind of like, oh, what is this space show? He was classically trained Shakespearean actor. Oh, like, I know. What, what are we doing? I, I, I remember <laughs> reading an interview with him where he was apparently insufferable for the first little bit. And uh-huh. they said like, you need to have fun. And he kind of learned to let go a little bit. And yeah. I can see that though. I mean, yeah, you come from this one thing and also at that time, which shock and awe, the fans were pissed off. There was a new Star Trek going on. And yeah. there's a whole documentary about it of how controversial this next generation show was Mm -hmm. so you've got that going on and i get how that can facilitate a a unfun time oh sure yeah i think every generation has theirs or you know every generation since the original series has theirs and you know a lot of the you know a lot of the next gen folks are balking at the stuff coming from kurtzman and and i I know i the current crew and i'm like 
it, it kills it's me. Star Trek. It's still good. It's it's and the old stuff is still there. You can still go watch that. See, too. and that, that's it right there. Is like nothing. Your childhood's not ruined. Nothing's wrong. It's just different, and that's yeah, okay. Were the Kelvin movies exactly what I wanted? No, but they were blast. Yeah, they're Star a lot Trek of fun. Beyond's my favorite Star Trek movie. It's a real good one. I've had fun with all of it, and I've been really. I started a show about it, so right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really it, enjoy what's it. Funny is, and, and this is the funny thing about the, about this specific fandom is, it, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. If you make a Star Trek movie, you can't make it like an episode because often it'll make for a, uh, a not great movie for mainstream audiences which i'm sorry if you are making a feature film that's playing in theaters you have to appeal to mainstream audiences right that's why first contact did so well and why insurrection didn't yeah and i like insurrection it's a 90 minute tng episode exactly the problem is it's a 90 minute tng episode you cannot have some of this exploratory stuff in your films as much as you want to be in the Mm. shows like Mm -hmm. i mean gene roddenberry kind of proved that it's impossible to do that and please people with the original motion picture yeah you got these 15 minute like shots of the enterprise which if you're in the mood for is awesome like sure. i recently rewatched it and had the best time forgot <laughs> the v'ger twist and it blew me away all over again oh yeah but what's the one that everyone talks about Rathacon, first contact the two action-oriented films sure yeah makes me think of uh the first alien movie alien watches like a like a psychological thriller yeah, it's a with, with, with a monster. Space. And yeah. then the second one watches like an action movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and, and they're both great, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go to a theater and expect a four episode long trial and tribulation of interspecies relations. Interspecies erotica, fucko. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's get into a little bit of background. So, uh, the story uh, for this one was done by Berman and Braga. Uh, the last thing that they uh, did was Andorian Incident. And the teleplay was uh, penned by Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. Uh, the last thing they did was uh, Civilization. That's season one, episode nine. And uh, same for the well, director. That was my last episode, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, same thing for the director, Mike Vihar. Uh, last thing he did was Civilization. Uh, we've got some interesting guest stars this time around. Mr. Gregory Itzen as Captain Sopek. He's got some fun credit. <sighs> Honestly, all the folks that we're going to talk about here in the guest starring section have very extensive resumes. I highly recommend pick one and just pull up their imdb you're going to be busy for a while it's they're they're great character actors and that's one of the things star trek does really well is they get these oh yeah day players to come in and knock it out of the park and that's that's the gig that's what you do you wear the the skin tight polyester thing we'll slap some plastic on your face and here you go but uh yeah so gregory it's in this captain sopek uh his credits include best little whorehouse in texas from 1982 uh he's got he did some time on early edition in 1999 and big chunk of his career uh on the show 24 uh from 2005 to 2010 yeah i think he played the president or the guy who becomes the VP, who eventually becomes the president. Then up next, we've got Barbara Tarbuck as Chancellor Kalev. And her credit her credits include The Incredible Hulk in 1979 and an episode of Twilight Zone in 85 and an episode of Quantum Leap. 
1992. And then rounding off uh, the guest stars, we've got Mr. Jeff Kober as Treg. And he's got, his is another resume that not only is it extensive, but it's very uh, nerd friendly. He's got a lot of nerd friendly creds, including Highway to Heaven, 1985, uh, X-Files in 93, uh, three or four episodes of Buffy from 99 to 02. But uh, most recently, the one that sticks out to me is his four episode arc as the character Joe on AMC's The Walking Dead. Are you a big Walking Dead fan? Did you? I I watched it for a while, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of became a slog for me. <laughs> yeah, I well, because when the show started, the wife and I went and got the first trade paperback of the first, you know, the first story arc, mm-hmm. and we read it and absolutely adored it. You have to make the show a little bit different, otherwise, the fans of the comic yeah. aren't going to watch. Right. But then when it diverted so far, we were like, well, sorry, you've lost us. <laughs> yeah. And I, re- I recently uh, saw, oh, uh, the guy that plays Abraham, um, Cudlets. Oh, yeah. He's on um, Clarice, also available on Paramount Plus. How is that? It's really good. It is. Yeah, cool. I, I, I'm going to describe Clarice the same way I describe Cobra Kai. It is better than it has any reason to be. It is, okay. It is surprisingly good. Um, I, I loved Cobra Kai. I've always been eh on Hannibal stuff after Silence of the Lambs. Sure, uh, of course. And I mean, I, I liked the show Hannibal and weirdly enjoyed Red Dragon for some reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, much to our good friend uh, Justin Bishop's dismay, uh, I prefer Red Dragon to Manhunter. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's he's, also he's because not... the people behind them like you've got what brett ratner yeah. and michael mann i can see why that would irritate him but <laughs> and manhunter is a good movie it, it is yeah. oh yeah but red dragon for me is a better time i'm with you yeah I, and, it's... and i'm used to giving justin takes he hates so so you know <laughs> <laughs> welcome to my world yeah let's wrap this up up next week we've got enterprise season one episode 16 shuttle pod one and joining us for that episode will be the fantastic mrs ren sims and shuttle pod one of course along with all of star trek enterprise is available on paramount plus miles tell us about the more you nerd uh the more you nerd is a weekly podcast dedicated to expanding your nerd horizons uh it's myself and my buddy drew burris as we basically, uh, at this point, t- uh, take on different themed months. Right now, we are in our annual anime, where we are doing, uh, this year, standalone anime films that are not your Studio uh, Ghibli and you know your Akira Ghost Michelle. We wanted to do something that where you're not always getting that suggestion, because if you're a, a, per- a person off the street and be like, oh, well, what anime should I watch? Everyone's going to be yelling, Spirit Away, Akira. You know that kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, I we're actually doing... I actually got that question in the wild uh, recently. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Yeah, yeah. And those were my answers. <laughs> so, well, so they, they asked they asked if I was into anime, and I was just kind. Of, I'm I'm on the fringes. I, I can't be a fan of everything. I don't have that much time and money. It's, but it's, my it's, go-to it is a difficult task. Um, we yeah. just did a, a series uh, called Odd Game Out where we talked about the kind of 
odd childs in popular video game franchises. So we nice. did the first Street Fighter, Zelda 2, Resident Evil 6, Sonic wow. Spinball. Um, wow. Yeah. So that was a fun month. And then over on Cosmic Crit, which is a uh, Starfinder actual play podcast that my friends and I do, most of the people on that show have been on or are married to the host of uh, The More You Nerd. Nice. Uh, we just finished doing our annual CritterCon which was an online tabletop role-playing convention. Yes. That, give us, give us the rundown. On yeah. That, so it, it was, it's a, awesome. um, it was a convention held to serve as a fundraising event for doctors without borders. And we have a lot of dedicated uh, GMs and uh, schedulers who were able to put together all these different games. A lot of them were done on um, roll 20 zoom and Twitch and what players could uh, nominate to do if, if they're in the game, they could spend money to get certain roles. So spent 50 bucks, you get a roll, you get uh, automatic roll 20 and, nice. and stuff like that. But uh, for, for us, because, you know, we were kind of hosting everything, we did a couple of different streams where you could donate to a specific player or the GM and do certain roles. But we ended up uh, raising almost $7,000 for Doctors Without Borders. Man, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's really great. And uh, I think the videos are on YouTube. Jason, uh, who is one of the designers of Starfinder for Paizo, Mm -hmm. who also make uh, Pathfinder, he is developing a new game that is called uh, Gasfinder, which is a post-apocalyptic setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Essentially, imagine Fallout, but instead of the 50s as kind of the main decade that it calls back to, Mm -hmm. imagine if that were the 90s. Oh, fun. And the, and the scenario that we played was called uh, Battle for Whimsy World, which took place basically in an abandoned stand-in for Disney World. Oh, nice. It, it was oh, a man, very, very fun. cool setting. I played my character Joystick with two Ks was a, a direct ripoff of Kid Vid from the Bird King commercials. <laughs> I remember Kid Vid, yeah. I, I, I dressed up, like I, I didn't do a full cosplay, but like I ordered like you know 60 bucks worth of stuff off Amazon. <laughs> made a kid vid costume for the stream. It was a lot of fun. Wow. And and yeah, so you can you can check that out on our twitch.tv uh, slash cosmic crit or our cosmic crit YouTube channel. Yes, and I will also include it include include the links to uh to all that stuff in the show notes for this episode. Uh Miles, where can people reach out to you personally? Because I pretty much run all the the more you nerd socials, that is often the best place to get at me for Twitter, Facebook at the more you nerd. And uh, you can email us at the more you nerd at gmail.com. Nice. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all the socials from all of us at the computer resume podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 forward. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The computer resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was done by Will Martin at heyitswill.seo on Instagram. And I'm Kat Davis at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. The computer resume podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold? The show covering the inside. There we go. Hey. <laughs> Take two.
Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological fit. All right. <laughs> okay, here we go. Third time's the charm. 